One of us in our marriage likes taking risks, likes taking chances out there on the edge. One of us likes flirting with disaster, if you will. That would be me, at least when it comes to cars and gas gauges. I love the challenge of seeing how long and how far I can drive my car without getting gas. As far as far as far as I can go, I love it, and I, it's like playing a game of chicken, and I win every time. I love just sliding into the gas station at the last minute. My owner's manual says that my car holds 15 gallons. Well, my goal is to use up 15 gallons plus three more gallons of fumes before I slide into the gas station. Did I mention it's kind of like playing a game of chicken and I win every time? Well, maybe not every time. There might have been this one time when I didn't win. There might have been <laughs> one time the year after John and I were married when we were driving to our family's cabin in New Mexico, and we were driving across the Oklahoma. Panhandle. How many of you have driven across the Oklahoma Panhandle? What's there? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I was driving, and John was asleep until something woke him up. It might have been the sput 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 sputter of our car slowly dying along the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with nothing. Now we are just fortunate that John speaks Spanish, and there were some very friendly migrant workers that came along in a pickup truck, and were able to take him to get some gas. How many of you have ever run out of gas? All right. Even if you haven't literally run out of gas, I'm betting that you have used the expression, oh, "I'm just out of gas," the metaphorical expression of depletion. I've just run out of the emotional, or physical, or mental, or spiritual energy that it takes to keep going. All of us have run out of gas at one point or another. And as we're approaching fall, it's a great time for us to look at our metaphorical gas tanks and consider how full or empty we are in the spiritual, physical, and emotional areas of our lives. So in your bulletin, there's a little card, and I would love it if you wanted to follow along. There are pens at the end of the rows if you need a pen, and we're going to start with a little exercise because I agree with Richard Rohr, who said a good journey begins with knowing where you are and being willing to go somewhere else. So the best way we can start is figuring out where we are. If you would look at the dashboard on your cards, and it has three tanks, three gauges: emotional, physical, and spiritual. And I would encourage you to take a pen and mark how full or empty you feel like you are right now in each of those areas: <laughs> emotional, physical, and spiritual. <laughs> Imagine how different those gauges may look around Christmas time, right? So put an arrow indicating what your level is as of today, and just for a minute consider 
What are some of the warning signs that you might recognize when the, your tank is going towards empty? When your emotional tank is depleted, maybe you're more impatient. Maybe you're less compassionate. Maybe you're less able to empathize. When our spiritual tanks are going towards empty, maybe we're more controlling. We're kind of holding on to control. We're trying to get everything done ourselves. Maybe we're angry, we're fearful, we don't have a thought for God. And physically, when our tank is depleted, obviously, we're tired, we're cranky, maybe we're eating on the run, we're, we don't have healthy rhythms in our life in terms of exercise and eating. Well, like John mentioned with the children's sermon, today we're going to take a look at the prophet Elijah, who was a biblical example of somebody who was totally exhausted. If he were to have put arrows on these tanks, they would have been empty, empty, empty. You heard about Elijah in the, vid in the video. It was a prophet. Like many of you, he was high capacity. He was successful. He had seen God do these amazing wonders. The video talked about him, God bringing down fire to defeat the prophets of Baal, but God had done other miracles in Elijah's life too, providing for him, feeding him, protecting him, all of these things. So we pick up the story right after this amazing showdown with the prophets of Baal when God has shown up. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19, and this is how it starts. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel, you guys know the name Jezebel. I picture her like this, Cruella DeVille. Evil, right? She is out for revenge. She doesn't like it that Elijah and God have won. And verse three says, Oh, so, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She's out for revenge, right? Elijah was afraid, so he ran for his life. Now, after Elijah has seen this supernatural di display of God's power after he's been protected and provided for, uh, He's afraid. He runs away. He is afraid of a middle-aged woman. What is up with that? He ended up focusing on people and circumstances instead of on God. Can we relate? Anybody ever ended up there focusing so overwhelmed on the circumstances or the people around you that we take our eyes off of God? Verse 3 says, When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Have you ever felt that way? In the wilderness? Have you ever felt like running away from your kids or your job or circumstances that just seem too much for you? I've just had enough. That's the way Elijah felt. He was just kind of done. I see in this passage and the further verses that we're going to read three mistakes that Elijah made and three responses from God that I think that we can learn from. There's a chart on your handout if you want to follow along and fill those in. If not, just watch. 
So the first mistake that Elijah made was he just wore himself out. He was exhausted, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And as I reflect on this, I wonder if with this huge display of God's power, with the prophets of Baal, with all that, did the drama and adrenaline of that cause him to kind of get out of the pattern of his regular spiritual practices or spiritual rhythms? I wonder. Do we sometimes get caught up in doing so much for God that we forget to spend time with God? He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So Elijah wore himself out and God's first response was, eat and rest. Now notice, the angel that showed up, it didn't preach a sermon. He didn't shame Elijah. He just cared for Elijah. He said, eat and rest. God meets us in our areas of depletion. He meets us in those desert places. One of my favorite names for God in scripture is one that Hagar used when she was in the wilderness, when she was in a desert place, overwhelmed. She said, you are the God who sees me. The God who sees me. So, God sees Elijah. He meets Elijah there. And just like a parent with a cranky toddler, God says, you know what? You just need a little snack and a nap. Right? Here's a happy meal. Why don't you lay down and rest? And so he does. John Ortberg writes that, most, that Americans are the most sleep-deprived nation in the world. And then he writes this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is sleep. You've got permission, right? Sleep affects our whole perspective, doesn't it? If you are the parents of little kids, you know this, because it is, I just, I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, why did I have to be so sleep deprived when kids, my kids were little? It makes it really hard to enjoy them, right? So verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Now, Elijah needs to be reminded, the journey may be too much for him, but it's not too much for God. It's not too much for God. Craig Rochelle says, never measure God's unlimited power by your limited power. Never measure God's unlimited power by our own limitations. Verse 8 says, So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't need the reminder to eat physical food. I don't need the reminder. I didn't need the reminder to get the cheese curds at the state fair. But I do need the reminder that I need to be filled up with God's word, filled up with the good things from the Lord. And just like we need discipline to say no to junk food when we're on a diet and to say yes to what will sustain us, it's the same with us and God's word. We may need to say no to even what is good in order to say yes to what is the best. But we're people pleasers, right? 
We want to say yes to everything. We want, don't want anybody to be disappointed in us. We want to say yes, yes, I'll do that, even if it means I have to cut out this time with God, even if it means I have to cut out this time with my kids. I, I, I want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to disappoint. But here's the thing. Jesus sinned. He, uh, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. But he did disappoint people. He never sinned but he did disappoint people. We get confused, we think, oh, disappointing people is a sin, it's not. We can disappoint people. So we need to be able to say no. How do we know if we need to stretch those muscles and say no more often? I would say, look for where there is margin or not in our lives. Um, A spiritual mentor of mine used to say, if you don't have enough margin in your day to bring someone in need a pot of soup, you're too busy. If you don't have enough margin in your day to care for someone, you don't have enough margin. We need to learn to say NBTFA. No, but thanks for asking. No, but thanks for asking. You know, I, I, I'd like to do this, but I don't think I can give it the attention it deserves in this season. So we need to learn to say no to things. But I want to give two caveats. The first is this. It is so individual. We are each so different. We each have different capacities. We just each have different needs for sleep. And most importantly, we're each in different seasons. You may be in a season where you don't have a lot of options to say no because you're keeping kids alive. And that takes up most of your time, right? Or you may be in a season where you're taking care of aging parents. Whatever it is, you may not have a lot of options to say no. And I get that. Caveat two, you might be in a season where you are overfed and overrested and you don't need to stretch your no muscles, you need to stretch your yes muscles. You need somebody to kick you in the butt to get out there and use your gifts for God, right? We have some friends in this congregation who are mentors to us. They are retired and they inspire us because although they enjoy retirement, They still work on habitat houses. They still mentor at-risk youth. This is what we want to pay attention to. Sometimes we need to to stretch our yes muscles. Let's get back to the scripture. Verse 9 says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asked this two times. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why would God ask that? God knows everything. God knows why Elijah's there. He knows where he's going next. Why would he ask that? I believe he wants us in relationship, and relationship means we participate. Relationship means we dialogue. Relationship means we engage. And so he asks us. And maybe another reason he asks Elijah is that he wants Elijah to say out loud where he is and what he's doing. Maybe it's kind of a wake-up call for Elijah to better understand what's going on. Verse 10 says, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. For? For the Lord God Almighty? Could that be part of Elijah's problem with perspective right now? We don't do things for God, just for God. We do things with God through God's power. Maybe Elijah's lost sight of that, and we can too. 
Verse 10 says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So, Elijah's worn out. God says rest. Elijah's second mistake is he focused on negative circumstances. He lets these negative tapes play in his mind, and those negative tapes distort the truth. It gives rise to lies. Now, God is letting Elijah rant, but Elijah says, I'm the only one left. If we jump down to verse 18, God says, settle down, Elijah. There are still 7,000 people who are bowing down to me, okay? I've listened to your rant and rave, but really, get real here. Verse 11 says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, why didn't God show up in some razzle-dazzle way? He had before. He showed up in the fire before. Why did he not show up in a razzle-dazzle way? I think that when we are at our lowest, God whispers. Because it means we have to lean in and listen more closely. We lean in when God whispers. So his mistake is letting these negative tapes play. And God's response is, listen for my voice. You need to believe me instead of the lies, these negative tapes that are playing in your head. You need to listen for the truth. And that only happens when we lean in and listen to God. It's hard to tune out the voices of others, the call of, the social, of social media, the drive for busyness and to do more and be more. But God says, be still and know that I am God. Our friend Mark Batterson says, the white noise of the world might be the greatest challenge to our spiritual growth. The definition of white noise is a sound that contains every frequency a human can hear. And because it contains every frequency, it's very difficult for us to hear any frequency, especially the still small voice of God. Our life is too loud. Our schedules are too busy. And so we forget that God is God. If you want to hear the heart of God, silence is the key. Now, we, I said before that we may need to say no to some activities or commitments, but maybe there are places where we need to say no to noise also. What if we said no to noise by turning off the radio in the car? or turning off the TV that's always on in the background at home? What if we said no to noise by taking a Sabbath from all electronic devices one day a week? Or we said no to noise by not looking at our phone while we're standing in line at Lund's? Abraham Lincoln had a summer home three miles away from the White House during the Civil War. And each year, 
he would take his family to the summer home, and every day during the summer he would ride his horse down to the White House. Now, this was a dangerous time. It was during the Civil War, but he said, "Absolutely not. I will not have any Secret Service protection. I won't have any guards. I won't have any soldiers with me." This drove them crazy because he was in danger. But he said, "I. This is the only time I have." For silence and solitude. This is the only time I have to be alone with my thoughts and God. So he said, "No." So we saw that Elijah was exhausted. God told him to rest and eat. He focused on the negative. God said, "Listen for my voice." The third mistake was that Elijah forgot God. Elijah doesn't rehearse all the ways that God had protected him and been with him when he's going over these tapes. He just goes over the ways that he's discouraged and the ways that he's scared. He focuses on the circumstances and on himself. So for a second time, God says, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" And Elijah repeats his poor me speech. Now God wants Elijah to voice the lies that are going on in his head so that he can correct them. It's like God is saying, "Do you really hear what you're saying, Elijah?" And Elijah says, "But but I I I I not God. It's all about me and what is happening to me." He skips over the miraculous power that God has shown up time after time. So, for you, for me, what negative tapes play in our heads when we get depleted? What do you hear when you get tired physically, emotionally, spiritually? You're not good enough. God could never forgive you. No one cares. I'm not gifted like the others. I'm all alone. Ask yourself, who told you that? Did God? Or someone else. Isn't it incredible that God can take anything that we dish out and is patient with us? He lets Elijah go on and on with his poor me stuff, and then he calmly gives him a new assignment, new instructions. Verse fifteen says, "The Lord said to him, 'Go back the way you came and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet.'" So Elijah leaves God out of the equation. He forgets God, and God's response is. Focus on your assignment with me. Focus on your assignment with me. What is God's most important assignment for you in this season? Before you answer that, I want to share what I think is absolutely the key here. We serve a God who has given us all the time we need to accomplish all the purposes He has ordained for us. Can you hear that? Do we believe that, or do we think that maybe God's made it a mistake and piled too much on us? We are just stewards. How would it affect our lives if we truly believed that God has given us all the time we need to accomplish all that He has given us to do? Would we ask more carefully what it is that He's given us to do? Would we be more at peace? In order to discern what your assignment is, think about what you're stewarding. Your godly influence. Where is your godly influence? With your kids, with someone you're mentoring, with students, with parents, with employees, with colleagues. 
with a new believer? Where is that godly influence? That's going to be where God is giving you your primary job. We can learn from Elijah that we lose our balance and our joy when our output exceeds our intake, when the noise drowns out God's voice, so we lose perspective. So think about it. Is there a place where there's a little red light on right now in one of your gauges? Or where do you think it's likely that a red light may come on as we move into fall? Maybe take this card with you and ask yourself some questions in the next day or two. But especially, I encourage you to ask the question, what is one brave no or yes you need to say to God in order to have a more healthy rhythm of life? But beyond this, I want you to know that whether you say yes or no, God whispers, I love you. Whether you fail or not, God whispers, I love you. Whether you're busy or relaxing, God whispers, I love you. I'm going to close with a prayer that's written by Ted Loader. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness, quiet my fretfulness, curb my aimlessness, receive my compulsiveness. Let me be easy for a moment. O Lord, release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving, to learn something refreshingly different. Oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. In Jesus' name, amen.